You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. And why are we looking at these stories of these individuals? Because they're kind of case studies. They uh, show us how God's works with anyone, and they're ordinary people, um, which ordinary means flawed and broken, like we all are. Okay, can you admit that today, that you're a little flawed and broken and not everything quite works the way it should? And I'm not talking just physically, uh, but kind of emotionally, psychologically, attitudinally, you know, uh, socially. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men. Let's see, where am I? Okay. Uh, And prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the sinew of the thigh. I recall a few years ago, Kevin Wilder, he was one of our student leaders here at Thrive FGCU. He had world's religions at FGCU, and I was not his teacher. Uh, It was another instructor who was religious, but not of the Judeo-Christian faith. And this story in particular, that Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, or how it said with man and with God, um, well, (laughs) this man said... (laughs) What kind of a God is this who, allow, who is so weak that, it, that a human being like Jacob could beat him? Now, that is a good question, actually. His conclusions were not necessarily good, but the question is very profound, and we're going to get into that today. Um, the Hebrew word like this The Hebrew Bible is something to really kind of meditate on. And the word for meditate really means like ruminate. Do you know how a cow ruminates on the cud? Now, I know that's kind of a gross illustration. But that's what the Hebrew word to meditate means. This text is sort of a puzzle. The whole life of Jacob is sort of a puzzle. And it invites you in to think about it a lot and to work on it over and over again until you kind of go, ah, there. And to see the interconnections and the intertextuality, as it's called, between this text and other texts, and how Jacob's life then becomes truly a case study of how God works with all of us. So the questions today are really going to be, the one is, so what kind of a God is this? But we've got to start first somewhere else. What kind of a man is Jacob? And then we finally will end with what kind of a man does God call Jacob to be? 
what kind of a God is, or what kind of a man is Jacob? The story of Jacob in Genesis 25, we see it starts as a problem. And um, I know there's a couple of twins here. I don't know if this is the case. I don't think, Victor, this is probably what your mom said. But Rebecca realized there was a problem because the two kids in her womb were fighting. Okay, I know of sibling rivalry. I've talked about that with Cain and Abel and how I was pretty mean to my younger brother, uh, Paul. Um, but this starts pretty early, doesn't it? Yes, and um, this is, Rebecca's really puzzled, but also kind of scared about what this all means. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So the real question is, how is this wrestling match that's already begun in the womb going to end? Right? Who's going to win out? How's it going to work? Sibling rivalry, we already saw with Cain and Abel how that went totally bad. But this one starts a lot earlier. This starts before they were born. What kind of a person is Jacob? So the twins are born, like we said, and the first one comes out nice and ruddy and red-haired, and so they name him Esau, which is about redness, okay? But the second, Jacob grabs on to the heel of his brother. He's still wrestling with him, even through labor. And he is pulled out of the womb, and he is named Jacob for heel grabber. Supplanter, deceiver, trickster, those are all in that word. And they are so about Jacob. That's who he is from birth. And that's the big problem. How is it? How is God going to work with somebody like this? Because God has promised to Abraham, his grandfather, that through this through these generations, he would be faithful to them. He would bless them and use them. How is God going to bless a schnook, a trickster? How is God going to use someone who's a deceiver, who's a contender, who's always feisty and fighting and trying to control everything and to get whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, in whatever way? You know, it sounds a lot like, and this is the problem, Someone else, some other character in the Bible that we started this whole series with, and that was the serpent in the garden, who is also a trickster, who is a contender, who is defiant, who tried to have it his way, and deceived, and tripped everyone else up. And that's exactly the point. We have Jacob now, who's more like the serpent than anyone else, who's supposed to be the inheritor of this promise. What is God going to do? And it's not just that birth we see and then the rest of his life turns out differently, but Jacob, all, all the stories of Jacob are about the fact of how he is this way. He plays that character line out again and again. So he cheats his brother out of the inheritance through giving him some porridge. And you might think, well, that, that's really Esau's fault. How could he be so... Um, so base in his desires and needs that he would give away his inheritance over a bowl of soup. But why would a brother ever treat 
his brother that way. <laughs> to withhold something that was easily made and it was already there. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't care about his brother. He just cares about himself. And even later then, he deceives his own father who is blind and frail. And he uses his mother to get a blessing. And in so destroys the whole family dynamic. And ends up having to run away from Esau and run away for his life because Esau is so angry. How is God going to use somebody like this? And what we find is that God meets then Jacob along the way. And what happens is this staircase, really like a ziggurat, a Middle Eastern pyramid structure with a staircase on it, is in a vision of Jacob overnight as he's alone out in the and as he's fleeing towards Mesopotamia. And God speaks to him as the angels ascend and descend on this. And God says this, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie will I give to you and your offspring. And later on, you see, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. God promises. And then we see Jacob respond. He wakes up and says, this, if God will, do you see that? If God will be with me. Didn't God say, I will be with you? Yes, if God will be with me. He's making a deal. God makes a promise. Jacob makes deals. He doesn't keep his side of the bargain either. He's really trying to trick and find loopholes and all sorts of things. He is using God to get what he wants. Does that sound like human nature? Yeah. What kind of a God, or what kind of a person is Jacob? Jacob's a user. He'll even use God to get what he wants. And then he flees to Haran, and the story is told over and over again. He meets his uncle Laban, who ends up tricking Jacob. Jacob tricks Laban, Laban tricks Jacob, back and forth for a a decade or more, actually. And finally, Jacob leaves <laughs> without Laban's blessing and takes off, and Laban pursues him with an army himself because he is so ticked off at what Jacob has done, and they have to have, on the way back to um, Canaan, they have to have an agreement made. They're ready to basically fight each other, and they make this agreement called Mizpah, that's the word for it, which basically is a say, you stay on that side, I'll stay on this side. Now, I know a lot of people say, the Lord be with you and me while we are, we are parted. It sounds so nice, but it's actually a God better. God's going to get you if you do anything against me while we're not together. That's how he leaves his wife's father. And now... Jacob's nearly back in the land, and this is the story that we just read. Esau's going to meet him with an army of men, and he's afraid. He separates. He's alone. What is God going to do with a trickster like Jacob? You see, I know a lot of people read the Bible. They think it's kind of a book of virtues. They look at it. Um, 
the Bible is so different than other ancient literature and other religious texts because in most of those um, heroes, you know, people, they write stories about heroic individuals. They might have a flaw, but this is, and you're supposed to emulate them. There is nothing in this story that says you should be emulating Jacob. If you try to read the Bible to find the heroic deeds and events and attitudes and people in the Bible that you are to emulate, you're going to be in for a shock. And it doesn't take long. This is just in the book of Genesis, right? What you find is a bunch of flawed people who lack integrity, who are deal makers and tricksters and contenders. And the question is, how does God work with that? And the real answer, the Bible will say, that's the only kind of people God can work with because that's the only kind of people there are. So what kind of God is this? What kind of a God, and I think that's the question that Professor asked, what kind of a God would let, or not let, what kind of a God was so weak that a human being can beat him in a wrestling match? All right? So this is what it says in Genesis 32, 25. When this, the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Yeah, so the man, it says he could not prevail through the night. But at the same time, it says all it took was a little touch. By the way, it wasn't really a touch. I always thought it was a touch like to the hip socket. No, it was a punch to the groin, right where it counted, <laughs> so hard, that touch threw the hip out of, can you imagine that? I don't want to, as a man, imagine that one. He hit him right where it counted. That is, where a man thinks he is the most virile, where his future lies, the ability to have children, the manly, manly thing, and he threw, he punched him so hard, his hip went out of socket, and Jacob could never run away again. So what kind of a God allows? Because you see, just by that, he could have beat him any time through that night. How many of you as dads, I know there are a few dads in our midst, Ever as um, when your kids were like three, four, five years old, you wrestled with them, right? All the time right now, right? Uh, do they win? Most of the time. Now do you understand what God's doing here? You see, because we find out in this text that, and Jacob is amazed. He says, I have seen God face to face and prevailed. He is shocked he's still alive and he should be. Anytime you encounter the living God in any form, you should be dead. But God is like a good father who probably uses a little of his strength, not too much, lays on the floor, lets the kids pile on top so that they win time and again. That is what God does here. He lets Jacob win. He wants Jacob to win. He doesn't want Jacob to win in Jacob's way. But like I said, he punches him right where it counts first. And then he calls him out. 
and he gets him to admit who he actually is. After he has basically been defeated, can you imagine if you've got your hip out of socket, how much more are you going to be able to wrestle? And that's when this angel of the Lord speaks and says, and what's your name? And Jacob finally admits it, I am Jacob. I am Jacob. Which is a way to say, I'm the heel grabber. I've always been. I'm the contender. I'm the trickster. I'm the deceiver. You know, God's going to wrestle with you until he gets you to win. That's what this story says. There's actually a play on words. In the first verse of this text, Genesis 32, 24, um, he says, Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled. That word for wrestled is Jacob. It's the same letters as the word Jacob. So God out Jacob's Jacob. Do you know, isn't that the way it works? So often, uh, God is going to out John John, right? He, out, he outdoes you. He lets your strongest points, which are probably your weakest issues, actually, be so self-defeating in the end. And here's the point. So often people think they are wrestling against the system, whatever that is. You know, we got to stick it to the man. Um, against the person or the situation that they're in. They, they think, I have to fight against the odds, or I have to struggle with my boss. I've got this problem, or I've got this professor. Man, that person is such a pain. Or your upbringing, I'm struggling with the way my family was set up. <coughs> Sometimes you even think you're struggling against the devil. And the point in this text is saying, no, your struggle is really with God. You're wrestling against God. Just like Jacob, you've been fighting God all along. It might be with other things as well, but you ultimately have a struggle with who God is. You're fighting to have your own way. You think you know better than God does. And just like Jacob, you thought you knew what you wanted on your terms, in your way, and you end up, he ended up destroying his family relations, abandoning his uh, wives, parents behind. And you will see later in his life, he has a pretty dysfunctional family that continues. And you think that's the good you want? So often, what you want is not the good that God wants for you. And God wants to bless you all along. I think that's not, from the beginning, God had promised, like we looked at, I will be with you, I will bless you, I will bring you back to this land. That is a sure and certain promise. Jesus says in Matthew 20, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You are my beloved. That is a sure and certain promise. There's no if in it, no deal, no like, well, I better keep up. There's no bargain. There's no exclusion, no loophole. It's called grace. But boy, do we struggle with that. And we end up wrestling with God at times because we want to control things. That's why Timothy Keller put it this way, God has to wrestle us into a transformed life more than comfort us into a transformed life. 
You think the struggles that you have in life are just because, well, it's just a hard life. And I, it might be because that's the only way God is going to get you where he needs you, where he wants you. And I have to admit, I'm Jacob. I'm a trickster. I'm a conniver. I'm a contender. If we say we have no sin, the book of 1 John says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're not deceiving God. But if we confess our sins, how we are like Jacob, God will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what kind of a man does God call Jacob to be? So in Genesis 32, this figure says, what is your name? And Jacob, and J Jacob says, Jacob. And then he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So God has changed Jacob's name to Israel and blessed him. And by the way, that word Israel also means to struggle with God. It's not much of a name change in one sense, but what's really going on is God is saying, Jacob, your fight has always been with me, and I want you to strive with me. I want you to hold on to me. I want you to contend with me, not with your brother, not with this, not with that. Hold on to me. Grab onto my promises. Rub my nose in my promises. Do whatever you can to get me to be the God that I am for you. I will you know, trust me. You know, we often think that the blessing in life is something like a better house or a nicer neighborhood or a better job or a luxurious vacation or a promotion or a new degree or some form of comfortable living. And God is saying, no, the blessing in life is God. God is the great blessing. God is the one to hold on to. God is the only one who's going to fulfill your needs, whom you were made for in the first place. God is the only thing that will fulfill you, and God alone. And that's what he's trying to get through to Jacob. God alone can only be the center in your life. He will not be on the periphery. He is going to be the substance, not just the shape of things. He is going to be the goal and not just a means to a different end. It's all what God says. Your name is Israel. You have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Now, this is a paradox, like I said. So Jacob has been punched in the groin. I cannot imagine the pain, the agony, and the fact that he is now hobbling around the rest of his life, and yet God calls him the winner. He was a loser. There's no way you can win a wrestling match in that shape. But God calls him the victor. How? How does, someone, how does God bless someone this flawed and broken? How does God meet us? And here we see that God meets us in our weakness. Like I said, the father wrestling with the toddler, God chooses to limit himself to meet you. God, in fact, in this story already shows us what's going to happen. He makes himself see, weak so that you can actually win. 
And I don't know if you've already hinted at and seen where all this is leading, this figure, this Bible story. Like I've said, the Bible is a unified story, one grand narrative, and everything points to Jesus. And that's not just a Sunday school answer, but we see ultimately how God has made himself weak in the person and work of Jesus so that you're going to win. The Bible will say God is the one who's going to win when you win when he loses. When you triumph in his defeat at the cross, when he gives his life and dies for you. Jesus is the one who wrestles with the full weight of all the rebellion and the full weight of injustices upon him. And he won't let you go until he can bless you. And I think that's the answer I wish that professor would have understood about this text. What we find in the Bible is not just a God of power and omnipotence and knowing everything. We find the character of God who is more than powerful but compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Just like a dad will let the kids win time and again, like a mom playing cards will let the kids win, even though you could beat them time and again, God is the one who wants you to win. God is the one who says, you are Israel. You have striven with God and men, and you prevail. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Um, we see in weakness, in helplessness, like little Glenna today, you, um, out of the mouths of babes, come your praise, as Psalm 8 says. In the midst of struggles, Lord, We've actually been fighting against you so much of our life, Lord, and we haven't seen that. We thought it was against other things, and we can name them all off. And you've wanted to bless us all along. You've promised from the beginning all along. You are good and gracious to us, Lord. Oh, forgive us for trying to be in control and take control and do it all our way. Um, instead, Lord, we turn it all to you. We're going to let ourselves be weak so that your strength may be perfected in our weakness. Your grace is sufficient for us. We lift up today, Lord, those who are facing weakness in their lives right now, those who need your healing. We think of Mike, who um, will be undergoing surgery on uh, July 11th, Lord. We pray that this surgery, that this cancer, that you are glorified in all that goes on, and he draws closer to you through it all. We lift up to you, Jamie, this week, who will have surgery on his elbow. We pray your healing be there. And during the times of recovery, Lord, that he can rely on you and trust in you and trust in the community of people here at Thrive, the family that you've made us. We lift up to you, um, well, everyone, Lord, that needs your healing touch this day. We pray for your guidance this week. We know the challenges are before us, but you are the one that will walk before us. You are the one that will go with us like you did with Jacob. If you could use Jacob, Lord, you can use us. And we're really no different. And we thank you that the story of the Bible is not about heroes and how great they are or people who've overcome in themselves, but it's about uh, people who are flawed, ordinary people, through whom you do extraordinary things, Lord, because you are an extraordinary God like no other. 
we could not even imagine, Lord, that through the weakness of your son, Jesus Christ, and that cross, your greatest power would be manifest in saving us. So for all of these things, we lift up to you this day and ourselves, and uh, we uh, ask that you would bless our offering that will take place shortly, Lord, that we wouldn't just be offering uh, uh, some, you know, some donations, but that we'd be offering ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. And it's in your name, dear Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.